I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm gonna share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm gonna tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. This episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast is brought to you by Plate IQ your accounts payable automation and expense management solution. As a restaurant owner, you know how important it is to stay on top of your bills. Plate IQ works with over 20,000 restaurants across the country, helping them manage and automate the full life cycle of the invoice process. Everything from general ledger coding up to and including bill payment. Plate IQ uses OCR. What's OCR, Kyle? I'm going to tell you. It's optical character recognition and deep machine learning to help eliminate manual data entry from the accounts payable process. With Plate IQ's vendor pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bills. That means you don't have to type it in. You scan it in and it does the rest of the work for you. How about that? Does that save you some time, some headaches? With Plate IQ's vendor pay, you can also see what is due and when. Schedule payments via check, ACH, or Plate IQ card. Plus, you can even earn cash back. Yes, cash back on your invoices from over 180,000 vendors. I didn't even know there were that many vendors. That's amazing. Lastly, vendor pay is also for vendors. Keeping your vendors happy will give you leverage in negotiating your terms. Vendors participating in Plate IQ's vendor pay love it because on average, they get paid 25% faster. To learn more, head over to plateiq.com, hit request demo in the top right hand corner and when you're done and you love it and you're ready to sign up mention that you heard all about plate iq on the national restaurant owners podcast from kyle and receive 25 percent off implementation all right guys welcome back to the national restaurant owners podcast i'm your host kyle and sarah and thank you for making us the number one and fastest growing podcast for independent restaurant owners in the country today my guest is molly angerhart the owner and executive chef of Sage Plant Bistro, a growing group of plant-based organic comfort food restaurants in the greater Los Angeles area. She also operates a 17-acre organic farm. Wow, 17 acres. Holy, we don't see that kind of, we don't see that kind of acreage around here. Uh, Sawa Hart focused on regenerative agriculture and recently started a much larger project, Bandera, in Bandera, Texas, called Sovereignty Ranch. Does that, does that sum it up? So that yes. sounds, sounds like a lot. In uh, California and then Sovereignty Ranch. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Plus, you just let me know that you're pregnant. So congratulations on that. 44 and pregnant, giving bitches hope everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a separate podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to send you a link for a separate one on that. But I, I, I was... So you have a lot on your plate. So I genuinely want to thank you for your time. So that was that's very nice of you to, to sort of carve this out for us today. No problem. Uh, but I did do a little research on you, and I f- wow. says that you were raised <laughs> raised on a farm in upstate New York. So you're a native New Yorker like me. I am. I grew up in Ithaca, New York. My family's mostly uh, from Staten Island, and then from Plattsburgh. My father's family is from Plattsburgh, which is way up at the border. You're like Florida. you're like this. Like all up here and then, and then all Staten, over here. Is Staten Italy. Yeah. Um, Staten Italy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we have uh, long time roots in uh, New York and I came to California like so many people did to become going to the movie industry. And uh, I ended up in many industries, but <laughs> the industry was one of them. So it's not a failure. No, I was going to say, I mean, you, you actually went out there and did it. You actually went out there and got in the movie industry. I know my cousin, for example, has been out there for eight years. I don't think he's done anything yet, but so uh, let, let's, you want to dive into that first or where do, where do we start the, where do we start the Molly Englehart story? You know, uh, the Molly Englehart story really started. I went to Cal arts for film and video and mm-hmm. photography. And then, um, I had a boyfriend that was a rapper and I was like trying to get him a deal. And I was like, not like everybody I knew, like that I would try to like, and then 
try to get them to introduce me to someone. And then I met this girl at the pool at the apartment complex that I lived in. And her husband worked at Sony. And wow. I like was like, hey, let my husband let your husband hear this video or this like demo or whatever. And he was like, Oh, he's terrible, but your hustle is impressive. And he <laughs> gave me an internship. Um and so that's how I ended up in the music industry. And then from the music industry crashed, like so many industries have, uh, with the invention of Pro Tools, the invention, mm. and then Napster and all the downloading. And I owned a recording studio. And so people no longer really needed to record with a big SSL board and everything because mm. they could record on their laptop at home, in their closet with a couple <laughs> of panels on the walls and then just go and master it somewhere. So uh, the music industry really fell apart and I had to start over. And uh, my brother trying to cheer me up brought me to pajama night at the Poetry Lounge in LA. And I was so annoyed and I was not going to wear pajamas. I did not wear pajamas, but I went and I was totally impressed with all the poets or some of the poets. And so I started writing poetry, ended up being pretty successful at that, did HBO Deaf Poetry. Oh, sweet. Um, then transition. Wait, I got to ask you, did your boyfriend, what, what was the boyfriend like when you like, Hey, so real quick, didn't like the demo, but long story short, I actually work for Sony now. Like, how did that go down? Um, <laughs> and you were like, and I can't sign you either. Um, I don't know. It, it didn't, <laughs> they're not still together, obviously. So, uh, he went back to New York and did have had his life over there. Um, but, and then, uh, so I did, uh, was, did HBO Deaf Poetry. I I'll tell you what, though, he did come out and see me at the Sugar Shack in Harlem when I performed uh, years oh, that's later. Cool that's the world's changing. I'm watching you on stage now. Um, and then <laughs> after I did, uh, after I uh, was doing um, poetry, I started growing pot and I had a run growing pot when in that gray phase of being illegal to legal in California, where it was still I'm going to say, like, that, California and always then, had that thing, like, everyone can smoke weed out there. Like, that was, that was like, you know, yeah, so, was, I, like, like, this was in the time where it was, like, medical was legal, but recreational wasn't. That was the gotcha. golden age where you could make some money at it. And then <laughs> the pot industry, well, no, then 2008 happened, and I had all this real estate that because I thought, you know, I should buy real estate and then I was upside down all of a sudden on all this real estate and the pot industry started getting legal, legal, which made the prices go <laughs> to the toilet. And so I started an ice cream shop with my best friend, a vegan ice cream <laughs> shop. My dad and Woody Harrelson were on like this competition of who could be raw longest. And so... Uh, my best girlfriend was pregnant and she was like, I got to do something that's better than acting. Like I can't just be living paycheck to paycheck with my baby. Like the restaurant industry was the worst choice for us to like decide that's what we should do. But for her to have time to spend with her child. Uh, oh, yeah. But anyway, so we started an ice cream shop and we quickly realized that vegan ice cream was too narrow of a market because you know, vegetarians will eat real ice cream. And yeah. so you only have vegans and then uh, like Hasidic Jews or people that are practicing to not eat dairy and meat on the same day. Mm. That's, that's your whole market, right. like nobody else. And so we realized very narrow. very narrow. So then we opened <laughs> Sage in Echo Park after opening three ice cream shops. And, uh, from Sage and Echo Park, we opened Culver City. From Culver City, we opened Pasadena. And uh, eventually we opened Agora Hills during the pandemic. So that was a nightmare. And mm. that would take us up to today. She, my best friend, passed away in 2018 uh, of no. breast cancer. Um, but there would be no sage without her. It was, uh, you know, it was me and her every day for years and years making it. Oh happen. man, that's tough. Yes, it is. But today, tomorrow's day of the dead. So hopefully she'll come. I got my husband's mm -hmm. 
Hawkin. We have a major altar in our house right now. We got all her favorite stuff on the altar. So hopefully she comes and snacks tomorrow night uh, with everybody else. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's dope. I'm sure she will. I mean, that's if I look, I mean, my, I uh, lost my mother to cancer at a young age. And uh, I always feel I'm not to sidetrack the show at all, but I always feel like he's around. So uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in that type of stuff. So I hope she shows up for you. Awesome. <laughs> so I got to ask. So let me, let me see. You were on ditch the boyfriend. Like, dude, you're not going to make it. I'm going to make it. See you later. Yeah. Got into poetry and you're like on this poetry tour. And then you're like, well, there's no money in this. Let me grow weed. <laughs> how do you do? How do you do that? How do you do? Like, how do you even, how does that, how does that happen? You can't, you can't just like say, Hey, I grow weed now. How does that, how do you do that? You have to have the land. You have to like have the know-how. What, what was all behind that? Indoor. Uh, we did it indoor. Oh. Like, uh, we rented houses under the guys <laughs> who were going to live there and then gutted them and uh, grew inside. Um, you know, I was in Staten Island at my grandmother's house uh, doing shows in New York and uh, my uh, friend, Trevor, who later became my brother-in-law, but I divorced his brother later. So, and now he still works for me in the restaurants. Um, he called me and he was like, we got to grow. Like, this is the the gold rush. This is the moment. This is the gray area when like how all the people got rich off bootlegging. This is our moment. We didn't do it right. We didn't get rich off of it, but I mean, <laughs> it was our moment. Apparently, Makes um, a great story though. But I, I've always been good. You know, my parents let me used to have like one or two pot plants when I was a teenager and I was always good at growing them. And so I don't know we just did it. Amen. See, that's just got to go for it. That's what people wait. That's a great lesson, right? Like, see, you don't have to wait till you know all the ins and outs. Just start growing. Start doing. Then you'll figure it out, right? I can't stand overthinkers. Like, I, I someone starts talking to me about, well, then what, what if this? And then what if this? And what about this? And, and I'm always like this, like, we'll figure it out. You think people will be like, I, yeah. even like my last restaurants, people are like, do you have a business plan? No, I don't have a business plan. You want me to pretend to act like I know how many customers are going to come in per a day? I don't. This neighborhood is different than this neighborhood. And we think it's a mm. good neighborhood based on this information. But if you want me to yep. lie to you, and pretend that I know how many covers we're going to have a day and then how much labor is going to be and how much food's going to be. You can see the P&Ls from my other restaurants and you can deduce what, like, I, yeah, right. I, I'm like, I'm not an overthinker. I'm a take action, take the next step. I believe that successful people in life see opportunities and take those opportunities yeah. in the moment because, and people that are not successful see opportunities and then overthink their way out of taking them and continue to live the same safe life that they're living. And that's fine. Nothing right. wrong with that life. Just no. don't be jealous of people that are crushing it. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you're not going to have a contingency for everything that happens. Definitely not in the restaurant business. And I, I always think the same thing about that with business plans for restaurants. It's like you're going to take <laughs> the bank, right? Which they're going to definitely say no. And it's like they already know that they're going to say no, and they already know the answer that you should have. And if you don't have it, they're not going to give it to you. So you're kind of sitting there like, look, lady or ma'am from the bank, I, uh, you probably see more restaurant business plans and you have access to more restaurant sales data than I do. You tell me what I should do around here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Well, this is my guess. What's your guess? Let's figure this out together. Let's be partners. It's always a guess, though. It's always a guess. And this is what people... I do think that doing a business plan is a good exercise, but if anybody thinks mm. it's factual, then, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a lie. It's, it's no. all, it's yeah. all a good guess. And we're constantly micro adjusting. And here's the thing. We all know what that pie should look like, right? We know what our labor should look like. We know what our, um, mm -hmm. should be. We know what our controllables should be. We know, um, what our non-controllables should be. And so in making a business plan, we're going to make it fit into that pie and then have there be a percentage for profit. But the reality of life is you're going to have to micro adjust constantly to maintain that pie at a profitable level. And if the whole yeah. world is the hell in a handbasket and they decide to over-regulate the shit out of you, you could adjust all the fuck you want and still lose money. So yeah. you, know, you never know. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, we will. Uh, we'll definitely get into that. But I, that's definitely why I said that when this pandemic hit, it's like, as 
upsetting as it is for the restaurant business, there's probably a group of people who are very successful running restaurants who are like, okay, this is just another thing I have to deal with, right? Like they, they like, you know, my POS goes down on a Friday night, the sous chef calls out, the bartender's not here, the delivery didn't show up. I got to make it happen. And I think obviously this was a big make it happen, but that chip is still in, in successful owners. Would you agree with that? I would. And I would say that most of the pandemic, I just adjusted, 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 adjusted. It's actually this post-pandemic time, or I don't know, when did the pandemic end? When did it start? Who knows? But it's this time that's hardest, at least for me, Um, Mm. that all the lifers, all the people I had in my restaurant for years had a crisis of whatever and decided to follow their dreams. And, you know, I, I don't have any of those like adults in the room, so to speak. And all these Mm. kids that graduated high school um, through the pandemic, it's like they're like C-section babies. They never had to push their way out. So (laughs) they don't have all the drive. And the the same thing is like- Somebody's open the door for them. Yeah, they just just got pushed through like, oh, we're going to graduate everybody. And so having a, a workforce that's, that really came into an adulthood in the pandemic is crazy. Like it, it, it's, we already had a, I don't want to say weaker generation, but you know, good mm. times make weak people, bad times make strong people. So we've been living in good times. And so we have a lot of kids yeah. that, that feel very, um, you know, the, everything, everything is offensive. Everything, we don't want oh. anybody to get hurt their feelings. We don't want anybody to ever feel uncomfortable. And you know what I mean? I it's like the reality is life is uncomfortable and strong people get their feelings hurt and get the fuck back up and keep going. And so yeah. the idea that nobody should ever be triggered and everything should have a trigger warning and nobody should ever have their feelings hurt. Nobody should ever feel uncomfortable. Like I miss the good old days when everybody was rubbing up against each other and making fucking dirty jokes like how restaurants are supposed to. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, the old behind me had a different meaning. Yeah, behind you had a different meaning. That That's, you know, I had, I so I coach a, a little league football team here and it was my first year coaching. I played football my whole life, but it was like, 35 kids on this team, age 10 and 11. And it was uh, trying to figure it out at the beginning. And they were like, well, you need to understand every kid needs to play at least eight plays. And I was like, every kid? And they're like, yeah. So the kid picking his nose over there in the corner, the kid who didn't bring his helmet. And then you have the rest of the kids who are like ready to go. Like they can't wait to play football. They're stud athletes. Yeah. And they're like, why is he playing? Why, why, why is this happening? And I get it. And it's funny because a lot of these older guys who I coach with, I'm 45 and they're like in their early fifties, some of them. And I'm they're like, yeah, these kids. And I'm like, Hey, real quick, they're your kids. You raised them, right? Maybe it was all the first place trophies that you gave them when they really came in eighth place. You know, now they're all screwed up, you know? And and you can see it. You can see it in the game of football and you can see in the game of life. And you can see it in the restaurant industry. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel uncomfortable. Like I, Okay, this is a new thing post-pandemic or during the pandemic started. That are okay, I understand like, oh, this person at work is making me uncomfortable. I don't want to work with this person, blah blah. The newest thing is the customer. Can you go deal with this customer? And it's like literally someone you fucked up, someone's food didn't come, and now that person has a rage issue and you want the manager to deal with the <laughs> table. And I'm like Are you gonna give me a rage issue? You made a mistake. Somebody's upset. You get to apologize. You get to say sorry. You get to make it better. That's life. Yeah, yeah, right. We have it. Like even when people mess up, they shouldn't feel any discomfort. But any right. like, okay, I'm a farmer. So if you look at my hands, <laughs> I have calluses on them, and yeah, you know they. I work. I wash my hands a thousand times a day. So my hands are wrinkly and old and callous. But that means that I can hold a knife for however long and do whatever for however long. Cause I've built, yeah, you built that muscle. Muscles. The other day, a uh, prep person didn't show up. I went into prep. I'm 44. I'm pregnant and I'm running the slicer thing, the meat slicer for slicing all the veggies for the sandwiches. And I was like, Oh my arm, like I don't have that muscle anymore, you know, cause I'm not having to prep Pico to guy right. or prep that. <laughs> and that's not built up. But if we don't, 
this world that we live in where everybody's so sensitive has nobody get strong. <laughs> and that is my right. concern. And this is not anything to do with the restaurant business, but I'm sure whether people are willing to admit it or say it out loud, managers are all struggling with what the workforce looks like right now. Oh That's yeah, for sure. For hospitality. And it's, you know, I just had a customer, you know, I had a server come to me and tell me how terrible this customer is and blah, 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 blah. I go and I look at someone who's eaten at my restaurant a couple times a week for nine years. And I'm like, mm. why are they terrible? I, I, they always want like their specific things. And I'm like, yeah, the yeah. regular customers come places because they can get their specific things. That's part of hospitality. Like she likes to have yeah. her hot water with her lemons and on the side. And Okay, great. We provide that. And she buys lunch five times a week. It's like a balance. Yeah, that's Sorry. the trade-off, right? It's a trade-off. But when someone's like, oh, she's terrible. And I'm like, but what makes her terrible? She's, she's literally paying all of our paychecks like that. Yeah. Exactly. And has, has done so for years. No connection for that. Um, but, or the fair, it's not fair. That server has a bigger section than me. That server can handle more tables than you can hear. You can't say that. Why can't I say that? What what (laughs) do you like that server efficient than you are at your job? You should learn (laughs) like, but that is like the world, like, Oh, you can't say that you have to make all the sections even. How can you run a business (laughs) like that? It's like the, there's enough to manage the football c- c- guy with the booger in the nose. It's like the same. I got the, yeah. the person that's on their phone at the POS with their back to their section. I'm supposed to give them the same section as this person that's hustling. Like, yeah. I mean, I remember saying to like the vote, like if you're, you don't like that, you don't like that. The person's very, that they, they want, they want a lemon. They want hot water. It's not every meal that whatever it is that they want. Yeah. I can fix it for you real quick. You can leave. And I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a bad way. But if you don't, if you can't deal with that part, there's other jobs where you don't have to deal with anybody. You can sit at a desk in a corner somewhere and never see anybody for your entire career. But that's what unfortunately you can work here. Yeah, that people want. And I can't stand the word triggering. Their life away and not like people that want to work in the real world, interacting with real people, are becoming few and far between. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you even see it. I don't know. Um, you probably see it with, with your staff, but like trying to call them, they're not going to answer the phone. They don't know how to talk on the phone. At the same time, it's almost like leverage that you have because if you're like, hey, can you come in right now? They can't communicate. And then like they'll hang up and text you. No, I can't come in. You know, this is just, this, the communication is literal. And it's also like you, you figure you can't communicate as an umbrella talk, comment, but you literally can't talk to me on the phone. That's a problem. I had an I had an employee offended because they were out with COVID and I called and the director of operations <laughs> called and their GM called to check on them, which was just our protocol when people were out sick that we would all check in so that I think it's a way of showing that we care. But they mm. had complained to other staff members, like, what kind of people do that? Call you when you're sick. And I was like, I'm old. Like, I'm literally old because in the <laughs> world that I grew up in, you always call people when they're sick. Yeah. It it was the opposite. Like, how could you not call me? Yeah. How, how did you, you know I was sick? Me? Why didn't you call me? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you just forgot. I was sick. Oh, no man. Way. So that's the world like we live in. And no, people don't. Sometimes I walk to a table and everybody's on their phone and I'm like delivering drinks or I'm ch- checking in on something. And I'll be like, hey, guys, I'm in real life here, and I don't actually know which dr- who had what drink. Can somebody yeah. act with me in the real world? Yeah. <laughs> but oh, God. Yeah, that's wild. It's it's just a very interesting time that we're living through. And it was starting before everything with COVID, but then the COVID isolation has exasperated mm. a lot of that. And so. Yeah. You give everybody 18 months to think about their job, but a lot of people are going to be like, fuck this. I don't want to do it. Right. Like they're going to be like, I don't want to do it. But then they, then how many of them came back or like, you know, it's, it's, it's just a really weird once in a lifetime, hopefully dynamic that we had to go through. But I think there's some lessons to be learned there, you know, right. You can make yourself a better restaurant operator listening to them. But I definitely think that the expectations on the employees part have got to get in line with, with where they want to work. You know, you could work at another place and not have, have that issue that that should have been the lesson. But if you want to be here, these are the rules. 
I think, um, well, I've totally shifted. I mean, we used to have rules like if you call out three times, you're fired. Like we don't have those rules anymore because the call out rate, is, <laughs> the call out rate is like so high that we wouldn't have oh, any half wow. if we had those rules. Like, so there's rules where we used to just be have a hard line, and because it's so hard to staff the restaurant, we don't have those rules anymore. They're just literally like out of our handbook. Wow. Yeah, I could I can imagine. And before we get into the, the restaurant and, and all that stuff, the documentary, May I Be Frank, mm-hmm. I'd love to talk to you about that and, and how, how that came to be. Um, it was honestly my brothers that were really passionate and drove that project forward, and I was more of a financial support. And mm-hmm. um, they – so this gentleman, Frank, came into Cafe Gratitude in San Francisco – uh, which for people that don't know, I own Sage Vegan Bistro. And then my dad and my stepmother started Cafe Gratitude, which is another large vegan chain. Um, and so in San Francisco, this guy came in and he was older, um, but not actually that old, just literally not taking care of himself. And he told my brother, like, I just want to see my dick one more time. Mm, fair. fair. Simple request. See his dick. Uh, and so my brother was super into Landmark at the time, and he was super into vegan food at the time. And so him and my other brother, Carrie, and my friend since elementary school that's like a third brother, Connor, they decided to take Frank under their wing and film. Mm the whole thing. And so they filmed Frank and he lost a hundred pounds. He went on wow. a diet. He's doing affirmations in the mirror. He's getting colonics. Um, and Frank is a very like big Italian New York personality that was taking pills and drinking and not taking care of himself. And he gets sober through this process, through the love wow. of the 20 the late 20s um, young men, early late 20s, early 30s young men. And so through these guys, like taking him on, he gets a new lease on life. And Frank has actually kept it up. Um, He's not vegan, but he eats a super clean diet. He tours around the country talking about, you know, the difference between eating a clean diet and not eating a clean diet and the power of your mind. And where you focus your mind makes a huge difference on who you are in the world. So um, Frank was life was altered forever. And the film went to film festivals and we toured around the country with it. And it inspired tons of people to shift. You know, I, people would write and say, we, I got sober after seeing that movie. I got clean diet and cured my diabetes and all this stuff. So it was a great um, experience. And we still are friends with Frank and he's has a great uh, life. That's amazing. Yeah, that's it is really all about mindset. That's 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 the part that people I think, you know, I know for me for sure, like food to me is it's life. Like it's 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 part of celebrations, it's it's a, a you know, it's really something that I would turn to like, hey, if I'm feeling good, like hey, let's go out and celebrate at a restaurant, let's do this stuff. But on a day to day, you can't be you can't be eating like that, right? Like and I think that it is one hundred percent mindset. Well for me it was mindset and what I had access to, but I used to, I was, I was expediting at my restaurant and we had pasta and pizza and sandwiches. And I was like, this is disgusting. This is gross. I don't want to eat it. And I, people are like, how are you losing all this weight working here? I'm like, cause I just put my mind to say, I'm not eating any of this crap. I'm not eating chicken parm. I'm not eating this bread. I'm not eating anything. And it worked. Unfortunately, I revert back, but it, it definitely, it definitely is, is the key. I think. Um, yeah. And I think that uh, I remember working at a Chinese restaurant in my high school uh, years and my senior year of high school, I put on like 20 pounds and I was still pretty skinny. I was a very skinny high school kid. And then, but I remember putting on 20 pounds in not that much time. And I remember having that mm. idea is like, you can't eat out food from restaurants every single day because the way we cook no. at a restaurant is different than the way you would cook at home. You know, you don't have mm. a fryer at home. You don't have, you know what I mean? It's not like you're just, if, yeah. if you make a stir fry at home, there's like a little oil in the bottom of the pan. And mm. You're not yeah. like frying chicken and then dumping it into the broccoli. And then yeah. Broccoli. So uh, 
in my case, it was tofu because I was vegetarian. But I remember having that cognitive thought of like, okay, white rice and fried tofu and vegetables. You can't eat that every day. Um, no. Without having an impact um, on your body. <laughs> and that was, you know, when I was just hosting at a restaurant in high school, I had that. Oh. So, I mean, that was that, was all of that. So that, I guess you're sort of, it seems to me like your, your plant-based stuff kind of all came together at the right time when you opened the restaurant. I mean, were you, what was your connection to restaurants prior to when you opened up? Um, I mean, I, like everybody worked at a restaurant as a high school kid or as, mm. a teacher or as a college student, I worked at Louise's Tutoria. Uh, but my connection to restaurants was not really, I didn't have really besides that. I didn't have, I wasn't ever formally trained as a chef. I, I wasn't, I, my parents were out of town a lot working at their business. And so me and my brother cooked a lot. And the whole thing of how it happened with Sage was I was just the Sage in Echo Park. I had just been asked by the people that own Sage to open my ice cream shop in the front of the restaurant. And then I was like the adult in the room and all of a sudden they just kept leaving and leaving and leaving. And I was like, I remember one night the server's crying because the chef screamed at her and, and, and I'm like, I, I don't really know what I can do. I don't, I don't work here. And she's like, what do you mean you don't work here? I thought you were my boss. And I was like, no, see, I just have this little, the ice cream and the espresso. Oh my the God, that's funny. And so uh, anyways, I ended up buying Sage and I actually ended up buying it as their partner. And then they're in, they were in, uh, they were Palestinian. So they were in Palestine. And I remember the chef quits and I'm like, well, they're gone. And, oh, man. and he's like, he's like, and then the sous chef had quit earlier that day because the chef threw a box of soy milk at his head. And there you go. And I'm like, the good old days. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I call the sous chef. <laughs> I call the sous chef who doesn't speak any English and I don't speak any Spanish. And I'm like, uh, like, can you come in? And I don't know how I do <laughs> it, but I got him to come in. And then I said, like, no mas Greg, no mas Greg. Yeah. Okay. And I said, to aquí mañana. <laughs> like, and yeah, then, perfect. That's enough I'm Spanish. Like, That's all you need. And then um, fast forward to today, that's my husband, that sous chef, that uh, quit because of the... Uh, that's me. Uh, so Does he still work in the restaurant? Uh, he's. I bet if we FaceTimed him right now, he's in the restaurant. But uh, <laughs> so funny enough, I, we got, I got pregnant with him on a one-night stand. My ex-husband came in the restaurant. It was a big drama one night, and I got drunk, and he drove me home. I slept with him. I said, do not tell anybody that this ever happened. Never tell anybody that it ever happened. And he was like, <laughs> okay. And he was like, okay. And he was 13 years younger than me. Is still 13 years younger than me. <laughs> and, and I said, don't tell anybody. And he was like, okay, I'm not telling anybody. We went back to work. I pretended it never happened. It was like, I was like so embarrassed. Like this is never going to come get out into the world. And all of a sudden, I'm fucking pregnant. And I say, fuck. And long story short, I had had this mushroom trip like years before where I had promised God I would never have an abortion again. And it was like I could not get out of the hell in the mushroom trip until I promised this. And I remember being like, the mushrooms are going to be pro-life. I can't be pro-life. How could I be? And I was like going round and round. And so finally I promised. So I knew I can't fucking break my promise to God. And so I was like this, we got to get married. He was like, what do you mean? Like, and I were translating oh, on my man. phone. We're translating on my phone. Choo, 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 translate, translate. <laughs> and so October 19th or 20th, I found out um, that I was pregnant. And on November 28th, which was Thanksgiving, we had catering leftovers because we cater uh, people's Thanksgiving and we got a tent and um, he bought a turkey because he's not vegan. And my sister-in-law made a cake. My brother married us. We got married in the backyard. And <laughs> that's great. 
uh, we have now been married for nine years. We're having our fourth child. And we lost that baby actually in January. So we got married in November. We lost oh. him in January. And he was like, and I said, like, we're again, translating on our phone. Now we both speak Spanish and English, but uh, at the time we did not. And so we're translating. <laughs> I say, well, we lost the baby. Do you want to, you know, get a divorce or an annulment or whatever? And he said, in India, they have arranged marriages. And I said, yes, that's true. And he said, well, maybe this baby that died arranged our marriage and it's our job to make it work. And I said, okay, I'll take that. I, I'll, mm. I, I had a All bunch right. of where God forced me to promise that I would never get another abortion. Yeah. And now we're here. So I'm willing to, mm. I'm willing to believe that. And so yeah, right. we got pregnant again and now we've been married. Yeah. Nine years. Mm. And I, we love each other very much. We have a better marriage than most of my friends. And it's because we're never trying to get back to some place, how it used to be. Like we built everything based on, you know, we built it all from nothing. Like, okay, well, what, who do you need your wife to be? Who do you need your husband to be? Okay. How are yeah, you? Right. And he was 23 yeah, yeah. and I was 37, 36. Mm. Uh, and 23 to 36. Yeah. So, and now I'm 44 and he's 30 something and we're, <laughs> and we're still, uh, last night we're trick or treating and he's like, Oh, I'm tired. I'm getting so old. I'm like, fuck you. Like, yeah. You're, no, yeah. You're the pregnant way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that might cause a little friction around the baby. Uh, but so, I mean, I think it all worked out. And again, I believe in seizing the opportunity. And when we talked about in the beginning, those that if uh, there's an opportunity that's presented, then you seize it. And I didn't see yeah. this as an opportunity at the time. I saw it as a disaster. But yeah. I have the best life ever and the best husband ever wow. and the best family ever, all because I made a weird promise to mushrooms six years earlier. <laughs> Like I, I know you have the film background, but I'm just saying that sounds like the makings of a pretty incredible story. Somebody <laughs> could take that and really run with it. I mean, forget about the Frank. Oh, with all due respect to Frank, but <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a much more interesting. <laughs> a very good rom com. But... <laughs> yeah, you get a couple episodes out of that on Netflix for sure. So, so now you have Sage and the and the farms. What what's the the future for Sage look like? I don't know. Sage is struggling right now. In full, you know, honesty, it's been. Um, mm. In 2019, we were evaluated at $31 million. Um, and my EBITDA is like probably 600000 right now or something crazy. It's mm. really uh, gone down. Um, and our sales are not what they once were. Like in 2017, I had, with two stores, had better sales than I have will have here in 2022. Um, so... I'm hoping to expand to other states that have um, different laws and restrictions mm -hmm. and costs. Uh, California yeah. is, I mean, I've always known that if you can succeed in California, you could succeed anywhere, um, but it's yep. getting harder and harder to succeed in California in full. Yeah. Um, I keep hearing that. I mean, it's just so crazy. And it, it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't ever yeah. stop. You're just constantly being regulated. You're constantly getting in trouble. I, I've been selling hot sauce in my restaurants for ever. We bottle our hot sauce and sell it at the front of the restaurant. I just recently got in trouble and they wanted me to have a cannery license for that, which I guess that you're supposed to have. Yeah, oh, man. And I was like, I think if I'm selling it direct to the customer and it's from our restaurant and they were like, well, then right. you have to, you can't make it at one restaurant and distribute it to the other restaurants. It has to be made in each individual restaurant and each individual restaurant has the stickers that says that they made it. But once you make it in one restaurant and distribute it to others and I wasn't responding quick enough and they tried to re refer me to the district attorney for like some oh they embargoed all of the hot sauce in the restaurant, all the barbecue sauce in the restaurant, and they made us throw it all away. And Jesus. To me, it's just, okay, that's just like one example of the control drama of California. Or the other day, they took $18,000 out of my bank account, which they're saying is a late fee on $800. 
for being a year late, but I don't care like how it, I was a year mm. late on this $800 tax The in 2019, we incorporated for a new location so I could sign the lease and the correct thing, but there was no business that happened in November, December of 2019. We just incorporated so I could sign the lease. So I didn't file the mm. taxes for 2019. I filed 2019 and 2020 at the same time. And I just said, I just need to pay the $800 LLC fee because it was two months of 2019. I pay. I filed my taxes. I paid it, and they charged me eighteen thousand one hundred and thirty-one dollars of late fees. My God, for being a year late on eight hundred dollars. And so I went back and I was like, "This is, cannot be correct. We didn't have any members. Mm. There was no business. Like whatever you want to assess, according to your website, it says only ten percent a year. So I owe you eighty dollars. So I paid yeah. you." $80 plus the $800. There's no more that I could owe you. They didn't respond. I then sent them a certified letter. I know they received it because it was certified. They didn't respond. And then they just went in on payday last Friday and took $18,131 out of my bank account. Thank you, California, my favorite state to do business in. Oh my God. Wow. That is that is rough. So what's so you have no recourse there? That's it. That's at the end of that's the end of the story. I'm well. I don't know. I'm fighting it with a lawyer and accountant. Yeah, got to pay them. I got a citation. Yeah, right. Having umbrellas outside of my restaurant because apparently, like whatever kind of temporary COVID permit for the street does not include umbrellas. And there's, oh there's people sleeping everywhere. There's people pooping everywhere. There's people, my restaurant in Echo Park used to be popping until midnight. And now they, it, nobody wants to be out on the street. Someone got killed at the pot clinic right across the street from my restaurant. And yeah. I'm like, you guys have resources to give me a ticket for umbrellas because it's not safe. Let me tell you about not safe. The umbrellas yeah. are the thing in Echo Park. Yeah, um, it's like take the eighteen grand. Sounds like you need it for a patrolman. <laughs> it's, it's like crazy. Yeah, that's nuts, man. I, I thought New York was crazy, but that's pretty nuts. We got. I had customer coming the other day. I saw them. I said, "Oh my god, I haven't seen you in so long." You. They always came. They had a big Great Dane, and they would get cocktails and an appetizer and a dessert. What appetizer to share and what dessert to share? They came many nights a week at eight p.m. and they would sit have cocktails, talk, and have one appetizer and then one dessert. And I assume they ate an early dinner and then this was like their nightcap routine. I never saw them mm. for a long time. I said, hey, oh my God, so nice to see you. What happened? They said, oh, well, there's just too much encampments under the freeway. So for us to walk from our house to the restaurant, we don't come this side of the 405 anymore. That was in Culver City, not in Echo Park. But this is wow. the kind of things that it's just like, how are we supposed to do business when it's just getting more and more intense in the space, like just the physical yeah. space? And so, yeah, that's, yeah, you know, that's, so that's, that's actually what my team and I, so I was in the restaurant business for about 20 years on and operated my own two concepts. And now I, I work uh, doing real estate for restaurants across the country. And, you know, even from the bigger groups, like the fat brands that we work with, down to the smaller groups are looking, you know, at the Dallas's, you know, Florida, you know, Austin, you know, Charlotte, other, these other towns that are one of the things that we're, we're starting to see more is like this scale of how friendly is it, is it business friendly, you know, increase in residential population, you know, Nashville is off the charts. I know if a family just moved from San Diego to Nashville and they're like, we just got a 30% pay. We just got a raise. Our salaries went up by 30% by moving. So yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, we're looking at doing sage. My husband wants to do a Oaxacan, uh, non-vegan Oaxacan concept that would be farm to table and organic, but uh, all Oaxacan, uh, very traditional Oaxacan food. And oh, that sounds amazing. We're looking at taking over some of these large restaurant spaces that are not as viable for landlords anymore. We're looking at like five and 6,000 square foot, 7,000 square foot mm. restaurants and doing a dual concept you know, splitting the, the front of the house would look separate and there'd be two lines in the kitchen, but um, that's what we're uh, looking at right now. But yeah, we're looking at San Antonio and Austin to start. Austin has no real estate available though. So we're likely going to start yeah. with San Antonio, but that's why we bought the farm in Texas so that we can do the farm to table concept there. 
as well. But yeah, yeah smart. Um, before we leave, I'd love to talk to you about this, re- this idea of regenerative agriculture. For what, sure. What is, what is that all about? What does exactly that mean? Tell her, because I don't think too many people are familiar with what that means. So, I mean, there's a lot of fear mongering around the environment and there's a lot of like, we need to stop the immediate stop to fossil fuels. And I'm always like, okay, so what's your plan? Um, so I was yeah. kind of, I'm, I'm an environmentalist. I love people. I love our planet. I love food. But I was kind of apathetic in all honesty of like what our future really was. And in 2013, I listened to a Graham State TED Talk that explained the simple, like how plants work and that plants draw carbon down into the top eight inches of topsoil and that the exact amount of carbon that's considered excess in the environment right now is what's missing out of the top eight inches of topsoil because of the way Mm. we do agriculture. So I haven't heard many pathways forward. I hear lots of fear mongering and lots of fear and what we are doing and how bad we are. But that like lit a fire under my ass, like, wow. And then I understood then that methane was like far more harmful than carbon in the atmosphere. We don't hear a lot Mm. about methane. And that the number one cause of methane was food scraps going into the garbage. And I was like, fuck, I I own a restaurant. I know how much food we throw in the garbage. Yeah. Disgusting. And you think every time you cut a cauliflower, a broccoli, everything, you're cutting the ends and then every people over order throwing away their food and you know there's just so many different ways that we throw away food even in a very efficient system because some foods i mean just like the bottom of cauliflower it's not edible necessarily so those ways i was realizing that i was a culprit in causing all this methane and i said well fuck i don't want to do that so Mm. i tried to convince every celebrity every person that came into my restaurant like you should buy a farm and i'll bring all my food waste and we'll compost it Nobody bought a farm. So I realized, okay, I got to buy a farm. And so I started just to start composting my own food waste, which is now a law in LA, but it was illegal when I started doing it. And now it's a law. So <laughs> funny. Yeah. But, um, wow. So, it was illegal um, to compost? It was illegal to take your own trash. Like you had to only use the services <laughs> that are there. Because the whole oh, trash is monopoly. You don't get me started on that. But oh, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. basically the principles of regenerative agriculture are to do as little disturbance as possible. So no plowing, no tilling. Um, and then you draw down as much carbon in these kind of ways we're using animals with holistic planned grazing and the way like interplanting and not having any bare ground. And there's all these practices that are drawing down carbon at high levels into the ground and then when you're composting all of your food waste it's turning into nutrient rich um carbon in the ground rather than methane in the air so there's two parts as a restaurant owner that i'm winning and then i'm feeding this super clean food back to my customers and the truth is i'm serving thousands of people a day i should know what we're feeding them you know we yeah right any of us just unload a Cisco truck or unload a whatever truck. And we have no idea what kind of chemicals and shit that we're feeding our customers, ourselves, our children. And I got very interested in that. And so, and then I found out about beer and how there's so much glyphosate in beer and how we're spraying all of our grain crops with Roundup so that they can be harvested more. And I, so I started the brewery. So we grow our own hops. We have a brewery. And I'm oh, super cool. You not poisoning people uh, when I'm serving them food every day, and so that's why I got <laughs> that's into- reasonable. So that's how I got into the regenerative farming thing, and um, I'm really committed to it. And it's it's like become like a passion of my life. And I sit on the board of directors of Kiss the Ground, which is a nonprofit that teaches people about regenerative agriculture. And if people are interested. Mm. There's a film on Netflix right now that we produced called Kiss the Ground, narrated by Woody Harrelson. And um, it basically explains the connection between agriculture and the environment and gives a path forward. Oh, man. And I do believe that a path forward is important, not just scaring people into being afraid. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds to me, I haven't seen it. And I heard you reference it in some other clips I've seen. But it sounds to me like it's in vain of some of those other documentaries that brought to light how 
you know, people were like the Tyson chicken stuff. And I forget the name of those, all those documentaries that came out about how, why people should be eating meat period and all that stuff. But it, so it seems like, yeah, I think we need to be all, have our eyes open to that. But it's not at all about not eating meat. Actually, regenerative no. agriculture is big on um, using bovine as a as a partner in revitalizing uh, right. the soil. And take, there's areas that we've over uh, done over agriculture, over grazing, and we've desertified. And we really can reserve. We can reverse that and draw down tons and tons of carbon by using buffalo, cow, other kinds of bovine, sheep goats yeah no i i just meant in terms of like opening people's eyes oh yeah like in terms of showing sure. people what yeah but it's 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 giving people a pathway forward and a positive not just using fear and saying like oh the ice capes are yeah. melting and we're all gonna burn in a fiery hell if we don't stop using uh, fossil fuels okay well go to the store in your gro- car and buy groceries that all were brought to you by fossil fuels and feel like a shithead it's not like that it's yeah. like, it's giving people a pathway forward I love that. I have to check that. I'm a pu- I pretty much only watch documentaries and sports, so I'm gonna have to add that to my list. Uh, all right, we are just about. To, uh, yeah, I definitely will, and I love that it's Woody Harrelson. Um, there I just is. always, I still think of Woody Harrelson eating white men can't jump and Cheers. Yep. So uh, the old, the old Woody Harrelson in mind shows how old I am. I'm the same age as you. So, um, all right. So I end the show with a couple questions that you know I'd love to hear uh, your your take on them. Okay. You sure. get to go out to dinner. You get to go to dinner with three people. Any three people in the world, alive or dead. And I just want to know what restaurant you're going to and who you're going with. That is an interesting. <laughs> oh, man. That guy stumped you. He stumped me. Um, okay, we're definitely going to my mom's restaurant. It's only open one day a week in Hawaii. It's called Cafe Attitude because it's just like so awesome. Um, and it's only That's what's great. it only grows what's on her land. And it says there's a thing over the door. It says be grateful or get out. <laughs> and so there's only one entree. Fair. This is one entree served, and then there's like an open mic. So we're definitely going there. And I'm gonna I love that. I'm going to say, like, I'm very interested in history and in American um, history. So I'm thinking, like, I want to go, like, JFK and then, like, Washington and, like, Lincoln. So, like, three different presidents from three Mm. different times. Um, and, uh, that's the, and we're going to cafe attitude in, uh, Kipuhulu, Hawaii. <laughs> that's amazing. It's funny. So many people often link them together, like three presidents, three coaches from my past or something like that. Um, okay. This is, a, this is the second one. Okay. You and I are, we're, we're traveling in a city, right? And mm-hmm. I can't get a hold of you. Cell phones are dead. Um, where am I most likely to find you? What type of restaurant or bar will I find you in? Whatever the cleanest food option is, (laughs) like it's going to be like the wherever, like the organic and farm to table, hyper local, that that restaurant, whatever that restaurant is. I love that. Very cool. Okay. Last one. Okay. Is there any question that I should have asked you that I didn't? I mean, if maybe like if someone's thinking to start a restaurant. Oh yeah. All right. Let, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's see that. You're starting a restaurant today. If you're 20 something and you're thinking you want to start your own restaurant, uh, cause people call me or write me a lot. I'm sure mm-hmm. everybody else that listens to this podcast and says like, I love your restaurant and I want to start yeah. a restaurant. I just want people to know it's not a part-time business. It's like, people are always like, I'm just going to do this while I do this. Like restaurant ownership is not a part-time business unless you're just a passive investor. It is so all encompassing of your life. And especially in those first formative years of the restaurant. And 
not willing to completely surrender all of who you are to it, I suggest you do something else because there's no way to do it well and do it part-time or um, as a hobby while you're being a pro snowboarder or whatever other things or, and the no other way. thing is just because a location is close to your house does not mean it's a good location. Like everybody's always like, oh my God, I found the perfect location. And I'm always like, and it's in really close proximity to your living room, right? Cause it's like, I <laughs> people when they're opening a new restaurant, it's like, it's like yeah. they're opening what they wish was there. Like, you know what? I always wanted there to be like a grass fed beef burger place, like two minutes from my house. Yeah. I think this is the perfect location. So the de- it's <laughs> based on where you live and in the proximity to your house and it's not a part-time thing. You're not going to like throw up a little stand and it's just going to like magically make money. The margins on restaurants are so oh. that you have to constantly or have people constantly monitoring those things or it can go off the rails very quickly. And so those that's are the it things that I would tell people. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you have a very kind way of saying it. I tell people, you know, you can just sense sense it. So like I've been in business for a long time. I worked back at the house a long time. I've owned and operated a long time. And now I talk to restaurant owners, the bulk of the time that my eyes are open during the day, I'm talking to somebody involved in the restaurant business. And if somebody says that to me, like you're a grass fed burger person, number one, my first thought is like, nobody cares what you want to put there. <laughs> what does the neighborhood want? What do they want? That and you do, you just don't look like you're cut out to do this because, you know, like just give me the 300 grand and save yourself the other 700 because it's not, it's not, it's just not going to, it's just not going to work out. And people have this, despite all the facts and figures and podcasts and YouTube videos and all that stuff, people still think they, they romanticize this and they, it's just, it's painful. And I always say that my goal with this show or whether it's social media content is just like, if I can give you one piece of information that made my restaurant successful or something that I really fucking screwed up to help raise the success rate of restaurants in this country. Then I feel like I've done my job because it's just so hard. So hard. I lost money. So I was just, I have a foster son. He's 20 years. I actually, he's now my not foster son, my adopted son. And he's oh, 20, 20 now. And I was talking to him. We were going to pick persimmons on Sunday and I was talking to him on the way and he was saying, well, why do you think this person, someone in our life is not as successful, say, as this person? And, and I said, it all has to do with your willingness to follow through. So you look at the restaurants now and it's like, there's all of them and there's all these people and there's all this infrastructure and there's a back of house and there's accountants and whatever. But the restaurants were not always like that. And I lost money for six years. I held it together yeah. and lost money for six years. And then for many years, I made more than a million dollars a year, like in just to myself, like my profit. And so that commitment, that those years, so those years that I made a million dollars and those years that I made nothing, and I was like having to have side hustles to pay my mortgage and renting out every room in my house those rooms all like those all add up to how like life turned out. But what happens is people aren't willing to fail and people aren't willing to continue in the face of failing. They're like, Oh, it's not working. And they give up. And so the, the, what I most hope I can put in to my children, what I most hope I can instill in my children. And I, I don't know if I can, because it's hard in this world, but that, that they have that grit and that tenacity to keep going because literally your willingness to push through is going to have everything yeah. to do with how successful you are. And, and so if you aren't good at failing, if you aren't good at looking bad, if you aren't good at communicating, if you're not good at struggling, then you shouldn't start a restaurant because it is not an e- There's many other easier ways in the world to make money. I don't know what they are necessarily because this is where, how I made my money, but, but yeah. there's definitely, I mean, you can import masks from China or whatever. Like, I don't know, but there's lots yeah. of ways. You can flip Nikes on eBay. Flip Nikes on eBay. There's all these <laughs> yeah. friends making tons of money selling shit from Alibaba on Amazon, like whatever, like there's things that you can do that where you can work two hours a day and make your whole whatever. Um, and 
you know, I'm, I'm looking at another business to add to my business right now. And I was talking to the guy and he's like, yeah, I only work two days a week. And I was like, must be nice. You know, uh, and, yeah, and, what's that like? but that's not what a restaurant is meant. And, uh, you know, I'm hiring a new assistant right now. And my old assistant was telling her like, you're going to have your days off, but please understand Molly's not off. So <laughs> you'll be off, but she, she's never off. Like she's never mm. off. And that's the reality of being a restaurant owner that at some point, somebody can need you at any point. Cause your restaurants are open from this, whatever it is, eight in the morning till 11. Yeah. Yet. And most of the time they can handle it. Most of the time there's not, but someone gets injured. Someone there's a worker's comp claim. We only have 80, 80 hours to get it in and da, 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 da. all those things yep. will bubble up and you'll have to take care of them. And so, and for years I was the GM like I was there actively running the restaurants because there was no money to have a GM. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, I always say it's, it's, I I spent more time in expo than I've spent with any family member. I have. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's, there's a certain degree of love to that. Like you, you want to be there. You want to do it. It's, it's, that's why I always say to somebody, one of my next, probably my 10 questions I ask them is like, how do you want this to end up? Because do you want to have, you know, 25 uh, restaurants all across the country and sell it to a private equity firm? Or do you want to have this one location and you run it the rest of your life? Do you want to franchise it? All three of those scenarios require different sets of decision-making. And if you're not, if you're not sure how you want to end, you're going to be living this world of constant confusion and, and figure out how you want to end. is going to help drive a lot of different decisions. And, and sometimes you think you want it to end one way. And then you, like I was on a trajectory yeah. with, private equity and all of that stuff. And now how it's going, I'm like, you know, there's something beautiful. There's something like beautiful about having a location that if, you know, I, that I, I now fantasize, like if me and my husband had a restaurant somewhere, like, and I was running the front of house and he was running the back of house. And like, we were that intimately involved in restaurants because neither one of us gets to do what we love to do that much anymore because. Mm -hmm. Right. We're just negotiating with insurance companies and dealing with this and dealing with that and severance agreements. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And so the part of what I loved about having a restaurant and serving people, I, I don't get to touch that very often. Mm. Yep. So that is really, um, you have to think about that is sometimes the trade off is the trade off worth it? Is the more money worth it? Is the whatever? If what you love about, your business is the people and is the interacting with the people and having that close knit staff. I have staff that can't get over that. It's not the way it used to be. Like I have staff that just, they just yeah. keep saying the culture. I want the culture back. What they mean is they want that tight knit family that we used to be when there was one or two restaurants. And it's, you can't have that when there's four or five restaurants, you just can't, it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I, I remember, you know, I got to that point with my own restaurant. I was like, I knew that I didn't want to be a chef my whole life. I wanted to be a restaurateur, but there are some days I would be like, I'll, I'll work prep tomorrow. I don't want to deal with the accountant. I don't want to deal with the investors. I don't want to deal with the people who want to talk to us about buying advertising time. I don't want to talk to anybody about an interview. Let me go downstairs and make meatballs and cut scallions. I'll do that all day long. Make French fries. I don't want, I don't want to deal with it. And it's, it's, yeah, you got to be willing to do a lot of different things. I think that's great advice. I'm glad I didn't ask you that question so you could ask it to yourself. <laughs> um, so where where can anybody find you? What what are some what are some takeaways we can have here and, and add to the show notes for everybody? Um, well, you can find me. We have our website sageveganbistro.com and we have our Instagram which is the kind sage and then my I'm chef molly with an ie so that's easy to remember and then so a heart farm is s o w like to plant a seed so a heart mm -hmm. uh, farm and there that's also on Instagram and on we have a website soaheart.com but please follow along with our family's journey and we don't know how it's going to go but we're hoping that uh it goes great that's awesome. And what is the baby do? Uh, February 28th. Oh, man. You're getting close. You're getting close. All right. Well, congratulations again. And thank you so much for your time. Um, and look, if you ever come back to Staten Island, let, let me know. Uh -huh. make, make, check my passport and see if I can make it over there. 
<laughs> Excellent. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it and have a lovely afternoon. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for checking out another episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to help support the show, share it with your friends. Share it with your restaurant buddies. Share it with your people who want to be restaurant people. That'd be great. And you could post on your social too. We, we would love that. Tag us. We'll share it in, in kind, right? That's what they say. We'll share it in kind. So you share and we'll share it. And if it's not too much to ask, one other little thing or two other little things, if you could leave us a rating and review, we'd really appreciate it because that's what kind of like bumps us up and, and makes us, you know, more visible to other restaurant folks who are looking for us. So that'd be great to catch all the latest from me personally. You can follow me on Instagram at Kyle and Sarah, also at Kyle and Sarah on Twitter and on TikTok and LinkedIn. So that's great. If you want to follow the show, it's at restaurant underscore owners underscore podcast on Instagram. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time.